0: Welcome to the New Money Habits podcast, where we talk about how to create a better plan for your money so you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Here are your hosts, Sarah Jones and Nino Villa.
1: Welcome back, Budgeteers. Coach Nino Villa here and my partner on the airwaves, Sarah Jones, checking in from... You're still in South Carolina, right?
0: I am still here. Feels like... It's been a long time. <laughs> it feels like we've been here a long time.
1: You have. I feel like you've been there a long time, but uh, obviously it's it's kind of grown on you. I know that you've spoken fondly of your time there, so you guys are enjoying it. That's awesome.
0: We are. Um, I'll be. On, I'll be honest. The only thing, and I think just being in the south, something that I didn't anticipate because I've never spent a ton of time in the South is how much rain, the amount of rain that the South receives is mind blowing. And it's every day. And that's, I'm looking forward to getting like, I don't know into like the middle of the United States where maybe they don't get as much rain (laughs) for just like, give me a month of no rain. That's, that's my only complaint that, that
1: um, I've had lately is, Okay. So, um, I, I've traveled to Florida a time or two, um, more for business than for pleasure. Um, but one of the things I noticed anytime I spend time down that far South is it seems to only rain for maybe like 10 minutes or so though, it, it, it doesn't seem to be like this ongoing thing. Is it similar in South Carolina or are we talking like all day rain events?
0: Um, it feels like all day rain events. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> you know, we've spent some time in Florida, too, and it was so, you know, it always was so interesting because sunny, you know, 86, 89, 90 degrees, and then 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, here comes a 10, 15-minute rainstorm that comes through. Just to not even cool things off, but it feels like it kind of freshens it up a little bit, mm-hmm. and then the rain's gone, and the sun's back out, and it's beautiful and humid and all of that. and. <laughs> In every place that we've been in the South, it's just like poor. Like let's just have like complete downpour for what feels like hours and gloomy, and um, it's kind of drizzled for most of the day here today. So, yeah, I just I want to look out and see sunshine, and I look out and I see cloudy skies. So,
1: well, it's only you know a a balmy (laughs) one hundred and two degrees here in Phoenix, and the sun is certainly shining so you're you're always welcome to come back
0: we will be there very soon and you know it's so funny if i mean you know i was on a call this morning with some other colleagues from around the world and uh (laughs) they they were asking me where i was and we were talking about it and i told them that you know we're going to winter in arizona and one of them he says winter he goes is that a verb like he lives in florida he said is winter a verb Yes, I said, for me, yes. And he said, a lot of people down here in Florida say that they're wintering here. He said, I've never thought of winter as being a verb before. I said, well, for some of us, it definitely is. And I am definitely wintering in Arizona. So a couple more months, we will be back there.
1: We'll be happy to have you. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Yes, it is a verb. And I like it. (laughs) And I like the fact that we don't actually have winter here. So, of course, people want to winter here, you know? Yes. We're close enough to visit places like in the northern part of Arizona that gets snow and go skiing and all that, and then you drive back down into the valley, and you don't have to deal with any of the snow. It is perfection.
0: It's beautiful. (laughs) It's it's a beautiful thing. I've always said that area was, like, the perfect because a couple of hours, you can be at a really sunny beach, and a couple of hours the other direction, you could be snow skiing,
1: Mm -hmm. and...
0: You know, hike in the desert in the other way. So, challenge perfect location.
1: Challenge accepted. Now I want to go water skiing and snow skiing in the same day because I can. not <laughs> You can. Your
0: muscle, your legs. You would be very, very tired if you did both of those in one day. Maybe one, one week.
1: Maybe, maybe, or like a weekend <laughs> or something. Yeah. Right. All right. Anywho, we'll will transition into what we're here to talk about. I suppose, although I think it's much more fascinating to hear uh, the going ons of Sarah, you know, traveling the country. But um, today we want to talk to you guys about the six numbers we think you need to know, and and uh, I want to thank you, Sarah, for bringing uh, this topic to to kind of to light because I think it's it's a fun way to just be really real about some of the things you should just know. You should just know, um, some of those numbers that are really important. Um, and they should just be kind of top of mind. You should know what they are. So I'm really looking forward to kind of diving into these different things. Yes. I, you know, and I'll be
0: honest, Nino, that, if we didn't, if my husband and I didn't know these numbers and haven't been keeping track of them, we would not be able to be in our early forties and being full-time RVers. I'm convinced that we wouldn't be in this lifestyle and have the opportunity to do this now if we didn't have these six numbers and, and keep track of them for the past several years, right? These these are numbers that I believe are really important that all of us should know, no matter where we're at in our journey. Um, but. Just knowing them once doesn't mean that you forget about them. It's keeping track of them, right? Always knowing what these numbers are and how they apply to your goals and your life and your dreams and your visions
1: going forward. Yeah, you just said something there that uh, kind of struck me as well. Like, regardless of where you are on your journey, you should know these numbers. But sometimes you're at the beginning of your journey and knowing these numbers might be scary or just, you know, Mm. I'm... I'm a firm believer that we drum things up to be way worse in our head than what they actually are. And so, so often when I'm sitting down with a client and we're reviewing some of the numbers we're going to be talking about today, you know, it's really scary to think about like, ooh, you know, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but like, what is my total debt? Like, I don't want to think about that. I can tell you, I don't I thought about, like, how transparent I want to be on this particular episode because I'm like, I know this number. this mm-hmm. But this number includes the house. You know, so many times you hear about, like, uh, you know, all your debt except the mortgage. My number is $221,000. Mm-hmm. Total debt. $221,000. It's a big, scary number. But then when I think about how, like, most of that's just the house... And how I have very little consumer debt left. Then I'm like okay. But anyway like I said I got ahead of myself. I didn't mean to like start going <laughs> down that. But these are these are some mm-hmm. numbers you should know. And be familiar with. And to your other point. Things you should be checking in on. Or because you're just. If you're really managing your money well. You're looking at it pretty frequently. You're probably looking at it every pay mm-hmm. period. So every two weeks if you're paid bi-weekly. Every month if you're paid monthly. Whatever. When you're looking at it. You should be updating these numbers and, and have a good sense of where you stand in each of these categories. So what's the first one?
0: Ooh, first one. What we talk about a lot here, um, your monthly living expenses. What does it take to run your home? What are your... what? simple. What are your monthly living expenses? And I find, Nino, I'm sure you do too. I lived it for a long time where I had no idea. Um, It just always felt paycheck to paycheck. I knew how much I was making. I knew what my paychecks were, but I wasn't necessarily keeping track of what my living expenses were. And I didn't necessarily know what that number was. It just felt like money comes in and all of it goes out and there's way more month left over and no money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do talk about that one a lot around here, don't we? Monthly living expenses. I don't know. Maybe you should have something called a budget. And uh, (laughs) maybe that budget should be the plan that you have for your money. And this is that first part that when I'm sitting down with a client for the first time, even doing something like writing out the budget and kind of putting all the expenses down on paper feels intimidating or overwhelming or scary. Because to your point, what if I don't make enough money like there's more bills than there is income. And so there's never, there's more month than there is money and all of those fun things that we say. But it can be a scary uh, moment. Fortunately, for most of my clients, when we're kind of building out that first budget and we're really kind of focused in on like not necessarily what things might actually be, but like what they want them to be. Like if they want to build a little bit of, um, a boundary around like grocery shopping, let's say, like, I want to plan for it. And we have a discussion about, okay, well, what have you been doing? And how much and how many family members and all this stuff? And then we come up with a number. Once we do that exercise, and we put it all down on paper, it's usually not nearly as scary as somebody originally thought in their head.
0: You know, I just, um, I agree with that so much. And I just got off of a session, a first session with some new clients and, you know, they very much felt like living paycheck to paycheck, um, you know, overdrafting in their account a lot. And, you know, when we started going through the numbers, um, putting some numbers down on a piece of paper, right. And started really looking at, okay, what do we think we're doing here? You know, you know, they had, I'm going to say, and this is a relative term, but I'm going to say quite a bit left over. So really quite a bit of money that um, they should be having, and I'm going to use air quotes around should, because I don't necessarily like that word should, but if they were actually spending what they think they were spending, there was more than enough money to, do some things and not feel stressed out about, right? That the, There's a lot of discretionary funds there, but because they didn't know their, their um, monthly living expenses, they have no idea what those are. They are very much living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and when we got off the session, they both said, I actually feel so much better. We didn't make any determinations about anything. We didn't make any suggestions, mm. no suggestions, no changes, no nothing. It was simply the act of looking at it head on what are we spending each month and what are we bringing in? Right. What, what are, what does it take to run our household? And, um, just seeing them say, wow, I actually feel a lot better now. It's priceless. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. all due to just having the information.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so again, in, 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 uh, effort to be just kind of transparent about, you know, how seriously we take this topic. I know that, um, this is something that, um, because I'm essentially self-employed, right? And, and I have to kind of figure out what I'm going to pay myself every month. This was an activity that I have to do, you know, pretty frequently. Um, I think I got, I've got it down to about once I need to do it once a year. I do it twice a year just to kind of make sure that mm-hmm. things haven't gone completely sideways. But considering the fluctuation that can happen throughout a month, like car registration is due mm-hmm. this month, but it's not due every month. It takes anywhere between forty two and forty five hundred dollars a month to run the villa household, and so um, you know I pay myself more than that so that I can accomplish other financial goals with the surplus. But knowing that, yeah, it takes forty two to forty five hundred dollars, and one of the things I love about knowing that is then I can ask myself, "Am I okay with that?" Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, like. There's plenty of that monthly expenses, monthly living expenses that are tied up in things like, you know, uh, streaming services. I don't need that streaming service. So if I ever looked at that number and said, whoa, I'm not comfortable with $4,200 a month, well, then I can start to take a look at what do I want to cut back on? Where can I, you know, find some savings? And if I'm okay with that, well, then all the better. I can move forward confidently.
0: Right. And I love that. It's, I I love that you do that because it's, it puts the control back into your hands, right? puts the choices and the decisions right back at the forefront of looking at it saying, okay, I'm not okay with this. Where can I make some adjustments? Right. And what are my goals? What am I trying to accomplish here? And, you know, very similarly, um, you know, our, um, I, because I am self-employed as well, um, you know, I do have the the ability to pay myself once a month. I do pay myself twice a month because that's what works for us. That's what I you know feel comfortable with. Our expenses are in between about twenty eight and thirty two hundred a month. That's about that's what we try to keep it at. But one thing that I've learned is being on the road. I almost can't plan for what next month is going to cost in some areas because I don't know what rent is going to be at the different RV parks, right? And are we staying for one day? Are we staying for a week? Are we staying for a month? So it takes a lot of planning. Um, And those those, those fees vary widely. It's a huge range of what we can pay. And so we spend, quite honestly, my husband does it, spends a lot of time calling different parks and, and doing our reservations because, you know, we could be, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this, and this might be very bold to say, but I'm going to say that we could be irresponsible and we could not care. And we could pull out of our savings account to just stay at wherever, just book it and say, doesn't matter if it falls in our budget or not, Mm. but that's not who we are. We, knowing that we want to do this for a while, knowing who I am, how I talk about money, how I feel about money, my relationship with money, we are very cautious and and, um, conscientious about where we're spending it and how we're spending it and what is our budget, right? What Mm -hmm. are we trying to to live with? Because we've got goals and our goals are to travel. So, um, yeah, about 28 to 32 is pretty close to what it takes to run our house on wheels.
1: Well, and what I love about that too is – First of all, I want to point out, like, notice we both gave a range, right? Because it's not like, mm-hmm. it, when we say, know your monthly living expenses, it's not like it's $4,238. <laughs> like, it's like a range is fine, but, but have a reasonable <laughs> range mm-hmm. because, again, sometimes you're going to have months where, There are other expenses that don't normally show up um, in every single month or or whatever. Or, you know, if you live in Arizona, your electric bill during the winter months, not nearly what it is in the summer months. And so there's fluctuation there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what I love about what you said is um, by kind of having the range and, and knowing what those operating, you know, those monthly living expenses, operating expenses The business side of me just came out. The operating expenses are. Each month, it allows you to be intentional in your planning when you are going to the next place, right? To your point, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be irresponsible and just book whatever, but you're going to hunt a little bit. And you're going to find like, oh, well, we know this is the general area we want to stay, but let's contact all of these surrounding places. Mm -hmm. Let's find that best deal or whatever the case may be. But by having some boundaries and and some parameters, Mm -hmm. it helps you to plan better. And that, I mean, I say it all the time. All I want you to do is have a plan. I want you to have a plan when you travel. I want you to have a plan when you're trying to pay your bills monthly. I just want you to have a plan because when you have a plan and then all you have to do is go execute it, boy, does the stress level go way, way, way down because you already pre-planned it.
0: Well, and you know what, I'm just going to add in one other thing with this too, is that I hear a lot of times people say, well, I don't know what it's going to look like, or I don't know what it's going to be. I'm Here's the thing. You know what, let me raise my hand is I have no idea where we're going next month, right? Like if I'm not, this lifestyle, we jumped into this and we did as much research as we could ahead of time, but we didn't, we've talked to people that are full-time RVers that book their spots out a year in advance. We yeah. are planning that come October. We're going to start booking next year because we are finding it increasingly more difficult to find places to stay. So we don't have as many options. But you know, what I love when you said about, you know, just having a plan and even if you're not 100% sure on the exact number, right, giving yourself a range, what you feel comfortable with, what your budget can handle, mm-hmm. right? What what you can handle without causing additional stress or an additional anxiety. What can your budget handle? What are you comfortable with? That's what we've done. And we know that we try and keep our monthly rent under $1,000. Now we've been pretty good at, at staying, I would say well under that. But um, coming from somebody who is, I don't have cent rent. I don't have set utilities each month, right? Like even that little bit of fluctuation, I don't live that way anymore,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: That, so I can't even count on budget billing with my utility
1: <laughs> <companies>. Right. <laughs>
0: right? And so um, I'm just sharing this with all of the listeners to say that you can do this very successfully and still not know what next month might look like. And that's because to your point, we've set those boundaries we've set those parameters of what we're willing to do yeah and then we make it happen right and then you make it happen
1: absolutely i've worked with uh, with clients who uh, you know have means and because they have means um man one one month really fluctuates from another and they <laughs> Even for them, they felt like they were living paycheck to paycheck because there wasn't a plan and it was kind of all over the place. And so being able to just kind of map some of that out and and kind of normalize some of that uh, that fluctuation, um, it just brings peace. Brings a little bit of peace and predictability, and I think those things are important when it comes to managing money. Peace and predictability, two things that I think everybody oh. would be like, I'll take that.
0: <laughs> For
1: sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, we could talk about planning and budgeting and monthly expenses all day, but... Let's kind of get into some of these other ones. Um, so that was the first number you need to know is that monthly living expense. The second you suggest that we need to know is our bank account balances. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about why that's important.
0: How many times have you talked to somebody and you ask them, what is, what's in your checking account right now? How much do you have in your savings account? And you just get kind of the blind, the 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 stare of like, I have no idea. You know, I find that so many people they don't know what their um, checking account balances, what their savings account balances, what um, you know, if you're saving some other short-term savings goals. I find that so many people don't know these balances, and when you don't know them, and you It makes it very difficult to follow your plan because you don't know what your bank account balances is. So you don't know whether I can pay my rent today or my mortgage is due next week. Do I have enough in my account? It puts us in a very reactive state. We have to check our bank account just to see how much money is in there every day before we do something. And that creates a lot of anxiety. You're living very reactively and that creates a lot of nervous system overdrive, you know, it puts us into this state of our nervous system doesn't know how to handle things. And so just knowing your bank account balances. Now, a lot of people and you know, maybe you can, and I know you will chime in, but I don't necessarily believe that we need to check our bank account, you know, 40 times a day. Right. And I think that a lot of people do because they don't know their balance, but knowing it, you know, I check it to make sure that, no funny business is going on. Nobody's gotten my bank card, you know, so I do check it a couple of times a week, but I know what my account balance is because I know what my plan is. I know what my budget shows and I know what bills have been paid because I've done my tracking.
1: Yeah, I will weigh in on that because, um, when it comes to something like the peace of mind fund, or, um, if you have an opportunity fund, it might be easy to know what, those balances are Um, because you you kind of maybe set a goal and maybe you've achieved that goal. Uh, One of the things that we teach at New Money Habits is that you should have 25% of your um, monthly income in a peace of mind fund or more commonly referred to as an emergency fund. So that would be $2,500. So you might be like, yeah, I know I have $2,500 in my peace of mind fund. I know that my opportunity fund has been growing and maybe that's around $3,000. And so it might be really easy to know those things. But to your point, even when somebody first kind of starts their new money habits and they're creating a plan, they're creating a budget, one thing that seems to be a lost art in this country anyway is the checkbook reconciliation process Mm. (laughs) where... You know what your checking balance is because, one, you created a plan, two, you executed against that plan, and so you know things like, yes, maybe the balance when I go online says I have $3,000, but I also know that the mortgage check hasn't cleared yet, and I know that my car insurance payment hasn't cleared yet. And so, yes, it says I have $3,000, but I know better, I know that once those uh, expenses are deducted. I truly have more of like a balance around $1,200 or whatever those numbers are. But I feel like that's well. when I say, when I, or when I come across clients who can't tell me what there is in their bank account, it's not that they can't tell me what, how much they have. It's that they haven't done this process of like really mindfully thinking through that's how much is in there, but I have an auto debit for my car insurance coming up. I have a scheduled payment for my mortgage scheduled. And I don't know, maybe you still write a check to the water company. And so that's outstanding. And so knowing your bank balance for me is about, well, do you really know how much actual money, spendable money mm-hmm. you have? And so, um, yeah.
0: Do people still rate checks? They don't, they don't, we don't have checkbook registers because people don't write checks and they have these fancy little, like, you know, little, like, business card sites, cards now that we just, like, tap on a thing or, heck, I think yeah. most people, don't they just use their phones now and they tap? I yeah. don't do that, but yeah, I'm just giving you a hard time. Like, I, I don't, I think because we've gone into this more digital world that it's people don't keep track and they don't budget, um, balance their checkbooks like they used to, right? We. I don't think people are really reconciling their accounts. So yeah. I love that you brought that up because a lot of people are not doing
1: that. And what's interesting is because when somebody, when I sit down with a new client and they're they're just starting this journey, you know, we got to have to take things a, a little, you know, step by step, a little bit at a time. You, you can't bite off, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So I always like to focus on the budget first. Let's get the plan in place, and then let's go execute against that plan. But it's not until I've been meeting with somebody for a little while, and that's, that's usually maybe three to four pay periods. So if somebody's paid biweekly, you know, I've met with them for two months. If, if they're paid monthly, it's been four months. But I wait until three or four, like you're, you're getting used to the budget, used to executing it, that I then introduce – The whole, like, you need to balance your checkbook idea. And (laughs) now that you went and executed it, because to your point, the other thing I want to be looking for is when I'm reconciling my checking account, I'm looking for, was I charged multiple times for something? And that literally happened not but, like, three months ago. It doesn't happen all that Mm. often anymore. But the transportation company at my, my children's school charged me three times On the same day, $31, $31, $31. And I'm like, see, if I don't pay attention to these things, I'd be out $62, right? Because I I only owed them $31. They now owe me $62. And Mm -hmm. it's $62. And and to some people, that's a lot of money. And to some people, it's like it's not even worth the headache to try to fix it. For me, it was worth the headache to try to fix it. I had to call them and let them know, (laughs) like, look, you charged me three times. So I want to be in there, and I want to be reconciling so that I can validate, like, yeah, those were my purchases, and I'm not being overcharged, or somebody didn't, heaven forbid, somebody got my, you know, information, that sort of thing. Important. Right,
0: right. And I think this goes along with which isn't necessarily a a number, I think it could fall in here, but, you know, I talk a lot about tracking and just knowing where your dollars are going. And so knowing what your account balances are and where those dollars are going, you can then, um, and this is why it's important. Um, your, um, I just lost the word that I was going to use, but You're comparing it. What did I plan? What did I want to have happen this month? And what did I actually do? And so these numbers, they're all very much intertwined. And that's why they're all so very important, right? That it's not just, if I know this, everything's going to be fine. It's the whole gamut of them and how they're all intertwined that makes your money journey easier to handle and easier to follow is because each of these pieces has a, a, it's a critical piece of the, of your journey.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've never been a fan of like a budget worksheet that has like a column for budgeted and then right next to it, the column for actual. But even though I've never liked that format, to your point, I've always used the bank reconciliation sheet, that that checkbook, um, to do that exact thing. This is what was planned. Mm-hmm. This is what was executed. And, I mean, at this point, I think it's been three years since those numbers didn't match. I mean, those numbers always match because, you know, I've redefined things like emergencies, which is a totally different topic for another day. But, (laughs) you know, even emergencies just can't creep up on you and throw you off, um, you know, once you're managing your money that way. Right. Right. So true. True. Very cool. All right. Well, um, so two down, four to go. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of teased this one earlier, and I cannot believe how badly I misspoke, but I'll address that in a second. But the third number oh. you need to know is your total debt number. And mm-hmm. so I totally misspoke when I gave my total debt number. I don't know how – I know how I did it, but um, <laughs> – I think it was like the sensationalism <laughs> of where I started, right? The two hundred oh. started at $221,000. That is not the debt number anymore. Thank goodness. Um, but anyway.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, total debt. You know, I, very simply, the reason why I believe you need to know this number is because you need to know where you're starting from, right? Just where... What, what am I looking, you can't put together a good plan if you don't know how much debt you have. And listen, I don't believe that all debt is bad debt, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, there are some debts that can be productive debt. You, you know, you can have um, debt that can be asset, you know, it's, a, it's an income producing, you know, multiple real estate um, properties, you know, that kind of thing. But knowing what that looks like, knowing where you're at, allows you to be able to create a plan so you can be reaching goals. What is it that you want to have happen? I find for many people, consumer debt is very overwhelming and it feels like people are, they're suffocating, they're being buried alive, but they don't really know um, how much debt they have. It feels like a lot, but they don't actually know the numbers. So, you know, and to your earlier point, Nino, that when, you actually look at your debt, right? And you get that total number down. I find that people have made it worse. You know, we've kind of made this worse in our head, right? That we it feels like it's this huge, great number. And while sometimes, you know, that huge, great numbers, it's all relative. But I think, and I'm the queen of this, making things worse than they really are. And when you've swept that number, you know, or kind of refused to look at it for so long, it kind of grows. And I think it's like that, it just, it keeps creeping in, it keeps creeping in, it keeps creeping in because you don't know what it looks like. And that's the scary part. It's not the actual number. It's that you've kind of let it creep and sit to the sidelines for so long. So, um, you know, knowing your total debt, I think is just critical.
1: Yeah. And, and this is one of those areas that when I'm sitting down with the client for the first time, to your point, it, just like the budget and the expenses we start to look at the debt separately together, but separate. And it's like, Hey, let's just list it out. And of course, like we're listing out the total, like the, the total payoff balance. We're listing out the monthly, mm-hmm. the the minimum monthly payments on that and all of that. And it can, it can be really uh, intimidating or overwhelming. Um, you know, earlier you said you don't think all debt is bad debt and there's truth in that. And that's why some debt should be handled differently. And we did an episode not too long ago where we talked about paying off debt in phases and kind of attacking mm-hmm. debt in a different manner. So if you if you didn't catch that episode, I encourage you as a listener to go back and uh, find our episode on um, eliminating debt in phases. So knowing your number is like having a map to help you to understand where it is you're trying to go. By being able mm-hmm. to put that number down, know what your total debt is, you can then map out well how am i going to start to eliminate some or all of this debt so it can be scary but it's usually worse in our head than what mm-hmm. what it is on paper and even when you get it down on paper and it's it's and it's uh, and even when you get it down on paper and it is As scary as $221,000 or whatever your number is, understanding that you're going to eliminate some of that in phases, and that just helps you to map out what those phases should be, should again bring a little bit of peace to an otherwise unsettling situation.
0: Absolutely. So do you want to, do you want to, I don't want to say correct, but do you want to update your number since um, maybe you said you misspoke about your... I'm curious, do you want to update that?
1: Yeah, so that that <laughs> was when I kind of started things in um, 2013. Um, the number is down to 152, but that might sound mm. like it's still kind of high. Like, why is it still so high? Well, first of all, a lot of that is the house. The second, of, the second part of that is, as we've said... Not all debt is bad. So I have mm-hmm. taken out home equity line of credit to update the house. And so I have gone, you know, I got out of debt. I went back into it a little bit. And so the number's still kind of high, but um, it's not 211 hmm. or 221. No. And- I can't even keep the numbers straight. <laughs> so much for knowing your number, you <laughs> know
0: we should know right this is prime example yep. um but i think the important part too to mention with a lot of this is that um you you said it there that you kind of went back in and you know in and out in different areas then you know i certainly have shared that in, in some of our episodes too but knowing that you're feeling good about what it is that you're doing right that you are following your your plan and um it's about owning those choices, which I think is important. And again, the amount is all relative. You know, for some people, 121000 might be a lot. And for others, it might not be anything at all, right? It's it's all relative. And it's more important about how you feel about it. And looking at, I always like to look at how far have we come, right? Mm-hmm. What have I learned in this process? What things have we been able to get off the plate, right? That, that our plan started out this way and we've been able to get, way past this and make so much progress that we just feel good about our situation now. So, um, and that's something to be celebrated. Um, not necessarily what the amount is, but really the, the lessons that you've learned, the strides that have been made, the progress that, that the things that you've been able to accomplish
1: and huge. And to that end about like the lessons that have been learned or whatever. So like, while I was willing to go back into debt for something like putting in a backyard or remodeling, uh, the first story of our house. Um, along the, this journey, I have cash flowed the <clears throat> replacement of an air conditioning unit. I've cash flowed like car repairs. And so while I made a conscientious, conscientious decision to go back into debt for certain things, I'm also making a very informed, intentional decision about not going into debt <sighs> for certain other things. So it's not, it's not like all or nothing. It's, you know, kind of pick your spots. Mm -hmm.
0: And I love that too, because, you know, while James and I, my husband, and I, we do not have any debt anymore. um, We made a very conscious decision to pay cash for our fifth wheel. Right. Knowing that could we have made payments on it? We could have. So we, then would have kept more cash in the bank for, you know, who knows what for purchasing a home or something. But we chose to just pay cash for this, knowing that we were going to be living in it. And that's what felt good to us at the time. Right. But we went both went through both scenarios. Like what are we comfortable with? Where do we want to spend this money? And um, it's about knowing, you know, and this is not necessarily, an it's an asset that we can sell, but it's not appreciating in value. Yeah. Right. So it was just something that we had to work through and knowing our numbers, knowing again, what our goals were, it allowed us to be able to make a better decision and be more conscious with the decisions that we were making. So know your numbers.
1: No. All right. Another great one, (laughs) another good important number to know. And, um, it's funny because when you brought this up, Sarah, um, I don't know that I was thinking I needed to know this number. I know what the number is. So I was happy like when you brought it up that I knew it. Um, But it wasn't (laughs) something I was giving a whole lot of thought about like, oh, I better keep this front of mind. And that is yearly medical deductible and out-of-pocket expenses. Like I said, I did know the number when you brought it up. But it got me thinking, wow, I don't, it's not something that I slow down long enough with some of my clients to say, hey, do we know what those numbers are? Because I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, part of the thinking there is you better know these numbers in case you need it, you have these medical deductibles and, and out-of-pocket expenses come up. It's probably going to inform something like how much money you have in your peace of mind fund in case mm-hmm. you needed to cover that. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: No, that's absolutely the case. And, you know, a lot of people, and I have myself been in the situation with a lot of medical debt. Things pile on. And and I've shared some of our, you know, journey um, on the, the podcast here. But um, for those that maybe didn't catch the episodes, um, 12 years ago, my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. We had... I will call it decent, um, health insurance. Um, and I did know, um, like some of the numbers, right. I did know what our regular doctor's office co-pays of $20. You know, I did know that, um, we didn't really take medication. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure on what that cost Cause that's not something that affected us very much. I had had several surgeries before that. So I kind of knew our out of pocket max and what that looked like. But some of the other things that I didn't pay attention to before that period of time was, you know, is it per person? Is it, you know, what does a family look like? Because up until that point, it was really just me. And that's the only number that I focused on. I'll be real honest, right? What does an ER visit oftentimes is different than a regular doctor's office visit copay. And those are, those are funds. Those are dollars that you have to pay right away there's no making payments on those types of things right and so i've seen a lot of clients that said hey you know i had to go to the er and we had x-rays and you know while some of that can be paid over time some of it cannot right and they had to put those that 250 er visit on a credit card because they didn't know what that expense was and it shook them they're like hey, when you're already going through a stressful situation hmm. um Yearly, out-of-pocket, max, and, and this number, guys, this is information that you should know because something will always happen. We don't know what it's going to be, but something will happen. And medical is one of those things that it catches people. And, you know, I think we're going to probably do a whole episode on medical, and, you know, we've, we've got some pretty strong opinions. I mm-hmm. think we've brought it up a couple of times in the past, but medical is one of those things that oftentimes it hits us. Um, we're not necessarily expecting it. Um, it's very costly and it puts a lot of us into a lot of medical debt. It causes disruptions to our budgets, our life. It certainly did with my son. And I'll, I'll tell you, I just had a conversation with him the other night, you know, as, as a young kid, he said, mom, he said, I went and got, um, um, had to have blood work. Um, Quarterly doctor's visit with his endocrinologist. He pays eighty dollars a month for some um, medical equipment that is not covered under insurance, and that's the best. Everything that eighty dollars a month for somebody that's really living paycheck to paycheck—that's a lot. But he needs it to live. No option, right? He said, "Mommy said I was looking at the bill for the blood work." He said, "It's five hundred dollars for one vial of blood." I said, "I know, buddy. Isn't it nuts?" It's nuts, and I don't want to get off on the medical. But my point in this is is knowing what your numbers are. Knowing because I've talked with him about this a lot. These are numbers that he has to know if he doesn't want to go into debt and have to put a prescription on a credit card. Right? How do I budget these? You know, these sensors in. How do I budget my insulin in? They're critical numbers. They're critical numbers. Um, and I find that out of probably all of these, this is one that people, when when I ask them, and I do ask all of my clients, um, it takes them a while to find the answer. Mm.
1: Yeah, I would imagine. Um, I would imagine it takes them a little bit of time to you know, find it, whether that's going through paperwork from work or whatever. Um, but it also got me thinking about how, as I, as I, alluded to uh, as we started talking about your annual medical deductibles and out of pocket expenses. It's going to inform what your peace of mind fund should be. And we talk about a peace of mind fund being similar to that of an emergency fund, but instead of talking about emergencies and kind of bringing that um, energy to us, it's it's more about what do we want? Well, we want peace of mind and wouldn't it be nice to know that if you're going to hit your, I I feel very blessed and fortunate that the um, type of insurance that we have, uh, our family and I, it's a household maximum. So our household maximum uh, or medical deductible for the year is $10,500. Well, knowing that it's $10,500 informs how much money we should have in the peace of mind fund because the peace of mind fund should probably be at least that much, if not more, right? So more like 15 or 20,000 when we get to the point where we're talking about a fully funded piece of mind fund, mm-hmm. we kind of start people off a little bit smaller for, you know, hoping that as they're tackling other financial goals that mm-hmm. uh, a smaller piece of mind fund can, Um, serve them well but when you're looking at having three to six months worth of income you know that might be for our household um, it it, we want to have 20,000 but then I think about is it enough just to have the 20,000 or really should I have 30,500 so 20 plus this deductible Mm -hmm. right now Twenty is serving us well, but it it at least it informs or it uh, is part yeah. of the decision making process.
0: Absolutely, and you know, um, <clears throat> when thinking about these numbers too, I think it just allows you to go into a situation again, having that plan or how how you're going to handle it. It's not like how am I going to take care of this? It's, okay. I already know how I'm going to take care of right? I already know I've got my piece of mind fund, my starter piece of mind fund. I already know that it's it will cover um, the $250 ER visit, right? Like, cause this is an unexpected thing. I already know who I'm already under enough stress of having to go to the ER. Now I don't have to worry about how I'm covering it. It's just done. Right. It's just done. Yeah. Um, also, um you know, factoring in and this, these aren't necessarily the numbers. Uh, this isn't one of the uh, um, a specific category, but to go along with this is knowing what, if you've got a flex spending or an HSA, you know, what, what those contributions are, what are you contributing? What are the, knowing there are yearly limits on those, right? Um, that the government puts on. So what can you contribute and what are you contributing? And then how do you plan on using that? right? Those are conversations that you need to go through. So what is my deductible? What's my out-of-pocket max for the year? And then how much am I contributing to the the flex spending or the HSA account as it might be? And how am I planning on using those? Knowing how you want to use those dollars ahead of time helps alleviate any question or, you know, confusion or stress later on down the road. So knowing all of those numbers when it has to do with, you know, your medical, um, your health insurance and such. Really important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Another good one. Like I said, I uh, I was happy I knew the numbers when you mentioned it, but I was like, ooh, news to me. I should I should know this number, or, and I should be encouraging our listeners and our clients to know uh, just what that number is. All right, so that's four down. We got two more important numbers to know. Uh, A <laughs> quick recap. So far, we've talked about n- Knowing your monthly living expenses and and how much it takes to operate your uh, household on a monthly basis. We talked about knowing what your bank account balances are. We talked about our total debt, and we just wrapped up with yearly medical deductible and out-of-pocket expenses. What's the next thing? What's that next number we should know? Mm. Oh,
0: retirement investment contributions and
1: goals. Wait, what? I have, to, I have to track how much I'm contributing to my 401k? Well, yes. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, simple answer is yes, for several reasons. <clears throat> Number one, there are annual limits on what you um, can contribute. The, the government puts, there's regulations. So knowing how much you are contributing we um my husband we did this many years ago he was contributing a certain percentage out of his paychecks um and then we got to the end of the year we're like how come what is going on here what's happening well we weren't tracking those numbers and he hit the the limits for what he could contribute for the year in like i don't know september or october hmm. well had we been on top of it right? And knowing what those numbers were, it would have allowed us to redistribute some of those funds into something different and be proactive about it, not into that reactive state, not like, hey, what the heck happened? But we could have chosen maybe, maybe we could have made adjustments earlier on in the year, or maybe again, we just knew that this, the the cap was coming. And so then now what are we doing for the rest of the year? it would have given us more choices or had more options available had we been more proactive and known what these numbers were for those types of accounts.
1: I think not only is it important to kind of know what the, um, <clears throat> the maximum contributions are and whether or not you're going to achieve them. But so often I talk to clients and they tell me what percentage of their income, right. That they're contributing to a 401k or the alike. And that is, um, it's great that they at least know the percentage, but then they don't usually know what that converts to dollars wise. They're like, Oh, I know that I set up Mm -hmm. like 10% and, and I haven't checked in in a while, but I know I've gotten some raises and it's, but they, so they don't know what they're contributing. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I just, I like, when managing money, I like to know what all those numbers are so that you can then make informed decisions. Like you were t- saying about, are you going to hit the maximum contribution limit? Or are you trying to hit it, but you're not? And uh-huh. so what is the difference And um, you know, just knowing the actual dollar amount and not just the percentage is another important point.
0: And even to that point, you know, there's going to be some gurus out there that will tell you, you know, don't contribute anything or, you know, contribute 15%. And, you know, I I don't live by those types of um, suggestions or rules. I want to know what it is that, that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, what type of accounts, what type of retirement accounts do I have? What type of investment accounts do I have? And what is their purpose? What am I trying to accomplish with them? And then how do I go about then reaching, you know, what do I need to do to make all of those things happen? What is the purpose? Do I want to only have retirement accounts that are available to me, you know, when I hit the, the retirement age? Or do I want some other accounts that will allow me to be able to retire early and, you know, and, and live off of, and, you know, all of these things, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? I think that's maybe the bigger and kind of rambling here, but I think that's what it comes down to for me, you know, is what is it that you're trying to accomplish? You know, not doing it mindlessly, don't contribute just because you think you should contribute with the purpose in mind. And then what is that contribution? What do you want that contribution to be?
1: Yeah, it's funny that you you talk about, like, what is the purpose, right? And so for so many, I think it seems like the purpose of contributing to a 401k or any other type of retirement account is so that your retirement savings will grow. And, and certainly that's part of it. Certainly that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But what I've realized for myself over the last few years is I – and contributing heavily into retirement to also avoid the tax burden, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. you know, being self-employed, and I won't get down into the weeds, but you know, you can come up with your own simple employer pension plan, and that allows you to um, put into retirement as much as uh, last year's contributions topped out at. $60,000. So $60,000 into retirement, you know, any portion of that whether it's $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 or the full 60 just means less money for Uncle Sam to tax me on last year. So there's there's that I want money for retirement, but I also like the idea of being able to avoid some of the taxation today and I'll I'll be taxed when I withdraw that money. At retirement age.
0: How do I sign up for lower taxes? Oh, wait, that's it. Being self-employed, that's one way.
1: That is one <laughs> lower way.
0: Lower my taxable income, right?
1: <laughs> there you go. And so, right, there's, well, there's multiple reasons to do so.
0: Yes, I was just gonna say, you know, what is the purpose? What are what are you trying to accomplish? And and you know, this lends itself to the idea that so many people don't know what they want retirement to look like or don't know what they want their future to look like. And so this is a good idea or a good good place to start of knowing what your contributions are. What do you want retirement to look like? Because again, you don't want, I don't want you to be just mindlessly putting money in. What do you want it to look like? When do you want to be able to retire, right? What do you want to travel? Do you want to um, you know, sell your house and be an RV or do you mm. want to, um, you know, go stay with your kids? Do you want your kids to all come, you know, do you want to have a hobby? Do you want a part-time job? There's so many things. What do you want it to look like? Right. And so um, I just think it's important um, to know what they are and what it is that you're trying to accomplish with
1: them. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, know those numbers. Know what uh, what your goals are. What are you trying to hit? Know what you're contributing to. Know what you're allowed to contribute. Um, it's it's amazing to me when I sit down with um, anybody who's self employed or owns a small business, and I'm like, you know, you could be socking as much as sixty thousand dollars away in retirement a year, and they're like, wait, what? I did not know that. <laughs> so. Because usually those contribution limits are much, much lower. So. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, drum roll, please, because we are on the sixth number you need to know. (laughs) And that is what? Credit score.
0: The credit
1: score. You need to know
0: your credit score. I think people focus on credit score maybe as the know-all, be-all numbers, like, hey, I need to raise my credit score, and I want to, you know, debunk that a little bit. But it's definitely a number that is important to know. Um, You know, so many things, you know, I don't want to say rely, but our our credit score affects a lot of different areas in our life. Um, It's not just for debt, you know, insurance companies, they might check your credit score and determine some, you know, what your premiums should be. Um, you know, your credit score affects your insurance premiums and, and um, you know, it, is, it, it affects when you want to maybe purchase a home, right? What your interest rate could be or when you go to purchase a car. If you do have a better credit score, you're probably going to get a better interest rate on a vehicle purchase, right? And, and uh, among a lot of other things, but Knowing your credit score is, um, I think it's important. I don't think it's the know-all be-all number. You know, I don't want people to just focus, oh, I, I check my credit score once a month, but I want you to know what it is.
1: Yeah, so you and I did an episode on the credit score and how to play the credit game and everything that goes into a credit score and and what it um, kind of represents and all the things that it affects. And while I want to kind of, rehash some of those things I, I don't necessarily want to rehash all of them I will say this you're absolutely right like a credit score is now affecting more things than just you, the financial your your financial landscape so it, yes of course your credit score affects things like an interest rate that you're going to get on a mortgage or an auto loan it is going to affect the interest rate you get on anytime you borrow money But now it has crept into, it affects, your credit score affects your insurance premiums. Heck, your credit score can affect your employment. There are plenty Mm -hmm. of employers who now look at credit score as an indicator as to whether or not somebody, the way I heard it explained once, whether I agree with it or not is completely irrelevant. This is how I heard somebody else explain it. Human Resources looks at a poor credit score and naturally assumes that that person is more likely than somebody with a higher credit score to steal, to call out sick, to do all these other things that I don't think that there's any correlation there, but that doesn't stop others from looking at a credit score and and making horribly general (laughs) stereotypical things based off of you know because so much goes into a credit score and there's a lot that you can Mm -hmm. affect but there's a lot that you can't and we've had the conversation about like should medical debt be counted against you and your credit score if you're unable to pay and and again i won't necessarily go down that road but the credit score affects way more than what it used to. It used to just kind of affect your ability to get credit and the interest rate you were going to pay on it. But it affects a lot more nowadays. And so, yes, you should know what it is. And you should know how to improve it. And, again, we did an episode on Mm -hmm. what goes into a credit score and how you can do that. But it's it's Mm a really important number to know. I don't like how important it is. But the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is it's important for participating in this society. And so you should know what it is. Right.
0: right. And as much as anybody's going to tell you, you don't need a credit score. You do. You do. And quite frankly, you need a good one. I don't like it. I'm going through this with my kids. You know, what I've said they're young adults. And so, you know, just talking with them, I, I don't like to have to have this conversation with them. Right. Because I have to then teach them how to play the game and um, I don't like it, but we do live in a, in a society that this is it's important now. And so we should know it <clears throat> just as you said, know it, know to how to improve it, know what affects it. Um, you know, what choices are we making that could maybe raise it or lower it?
1: Yes. Yeah. It, we talked about, like, you and I right now are talking about playing the game because in the episode that we did about credit, it is about playing the game. And we talked about how the the odds are stacked in the house's favor, just like in Vegas. So these creditors know exactly what they're doing. They know how to stack everything in their favor. And the only time that you may benefit from playing the game is eventually you'll get to borrow money at a a significantly uh, smaller rate. And that's good news because it just means that you're paying less to borrow that money when you do need to leverage it. You know, I, I think about, um, before the shift in the economy recently, over like the last 12 to 24 months, I was, um, working with uh, a couple and we had talked about refinancing their mortgage. Um, and and eventually they got it down. They now have it down to a point where their, the mortgage rate or the, the interest rate on their mortgage is 1.75%. And wow. that's so significant because when talking about, like, trying to pay it off early, I'm like, look at – look at what you would have to do like even if you threw another 500 or a thousand dollars at this your interest rate is so low that you would only they refinance into a 15-year loan their interest rates so low that even if they put an extra thousand dollars a month on their mortgage they're only going to move the timeline about 10 months so instead of 15 years they'll pay it off in 14 and the interest Mm -hmm. saved in that that time span is like $2,000 because Ugh. the interest rate is so low that it's just – <laughs> they wouldn't save a bunch of time or money. So I'm like, look, instead of taking that $1,000 and socking it towards the house, let's take it and invest it in other things that are certainly going to make you more than 1.75%. Heck, if you even got it into mm-hmm. – like a long-term CD at 2%, you're you're outgaining what you're paying in interest. So it just Mm – credit score means a lot, especially when it's finally good and it finally allows you to borrow money at ridiculously low rates. Those days are gone for now. (laughs) You can't borrow money that cheaply right now, but – that's another mm-hmm. story for another day. I won't go down the, how much our economy is just insane right now with inflation. Right. Oh, wait. But I you know, can... even with, Sorry. <laughs>
0: right. even with that story though, that's a really good point. It goes right along with knowing your numbers. They're knowing their numbers and knowing what is going to be beneficial with me. So what are my choices and where can I make the best decision? Right. And so knowing their numbers, knowing what their mortgage is, Um, payoff, you know, what that is, what their interest rate is. And those aren't numbers that we talked about necessarily here, but they fall into, right, a lot of these other categories. So they know their numbers. They can make a more informed decision going forward.
1: And I think that is a great summation of everything we're talking about. Why should I know these numbers? Why should I know my monthly living expenses and my bank account balances and my total debt and my yearly medical deductibles and out-of-pocket expenses and how much I'm contributing to retirement and my credit score? Why does it matter? (laughs) Because you get to make informed, educated decisions. You get to manage your money intentionally you get to manage it well because you have more information at the ready to say ah i can take this opportunity because i know my numbers i was actually just having that conversation with um a couple earlier today earlier today right before we Mm -hmm. got on to record we were talking about an opportunity that has come you know kind of come uh in front of them and it's can we act on this opportunity or is it wiser to let this opportunity pass on by and one of the things i said is well we have to kind of refamiliarize ourselves with a couple of the numbers before we can make a decision some things have significantly shifted over the last 3 or 4 months in their um, overall landscape so like let's refamiliarize ourselves with some of these numbers that we might not have checked in on you know in the last 4 months mm-hmm. And then we can make an informed, educated decision on whether or not this is the right opportunity at the right time or if this is an opportunity that we need to allow pass by and we'll wait for the next one. Yes,
0: I love that. And, you know. I think, again, it just goes with everything. I think that's what I want everybody to be doing, right? I want all my clients, I want everybody listening. That's what I want for you to be doing is knowing your numbers, knowing where you're at, how has life changed from the last time you looked, right? And and make an informed decision, one that actually feels right for you based on the information that you have. It's about being very intentional with, you know, and I'm going to bring in, I say this all the time that it's not just dollars that we're talking about here, folks, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you chain, you trade your time for money. And for me, my time is very, very valuable, right? I can't get time back. And so I know that I have to trade my time for money. And so I want to use my money the best way possible. And the, the, the way that feels the best for me, because it's my time that I'm giving for that. So um, if nothing else, I just want you to live a very intentional life, spend consciously um, so you can make decisions that are really informed um, and feel good about them.
1: Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you for kind of bringing these six numbers to the forefront and into the lights as Mm -hmm. six numbers that uh, you just need to know. Um, if anybody listening is looking to um, sit down with Sarah or myself, go to the show notes and you can schedule time to work with one of us to kind of get these numbers down on paper and talk about what those numbers mean for you and for your plan. Uh, we, like, we love to customize uh, plans for people here and, and, and make it something that you can actually follow and it will help you to achieve your goals. But I think... This was uh, an excellent uh, discussion today to really dive into these six numbers. So I thank you for that, Sarah.
0: Well, you're welcome.
1: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, I think that does it for this episode. And uh, we'll continue the conversation next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the New Money Habits podcast, brought to you by New Money Habits and Keeping Up with the Joneses Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our hosts by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Join our growing group of like-minded people on Facebook and follow us on your favorite platform. Music provided by Summer School.